Saints fans, Pelicans fans, let's go. This is the Black and Blue Report. Black. Bree is going to go deep. He's got ground. Touchdown. Blue. Down the lane. Shoots. No. Tip follow in for Davis with three tenths of a second left. Welcome into the podcast for the fans, straight from the teams they love. It's good to see you guys, and uh, I didn't know we had Studio B here in our facility. Good setup. Now that I know where your guys' little office is, I can pop in here whenever I want. Well, we're playing through AD, and so everybody's going to have to adjust to that. Coaches, players, analysts, celebrities, and more. That guy's Anthony Mackie. I've gotten in many of our arguments about the Pelicans and the Saints uh, over the years. Harry County Jr. joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Undoubtedly, to me, the Saints are the singular reason that New Orleans is back on the map. Hoda Kotb from the Today Show on NBC, our guest. You know, New Orleans gets in your blood. The Saints never leave it once they get in there. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio. Wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. How goes it? Welcome into the Black and Blue Report. It is Thursday and brings from Denver, Colorado. I'm Sean Kelly, and with the Pelicans here in Denver, as they continue their four-game West Coast road trip this weekend with games on Friday night against the Denver Nuggets and Saturday night, against the Utah Jazz. Well, the Pels have split the first two games in this road trip, as we talked about yesterday on the Black and Blue Report. Big win at Sacramento the other night, and now Stan had 6-4. and four. We're going to talk NBA in general today, and there's some Pelicans content in there as well, with Sean Devaney of the Sporting News. He'll stop by and uh, grace us with his presence on this Thursday. It'll be good stuff. And we always get great stuff from Jim Henderson, the voice of the Saints, as usual on this Thursday to help us preview the Saints and Ravens on Monday night football. Of course, the schedule has changed a little bit with the game being on Monday as opposed to Sunday, and so today will be the busiest day of the week for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, they'll, have their, uh, they'll have their team back on the practice field today in earnest. They'll also meet with the media today. Sean Payton will speak, so will quarterback Drew Brees and um, John DeShazer and his crew from NewOrleansSaints.com. We'll be stopping by the Saints locker room after practice as well. So we'll have a lot of content later on today at NewOrleansSaints.com and on your Saints mobile app as the, uh, as the week really gears up today. So I know it's Thursday, but this is more like the Wednesday schedule for the New Orleans Saints. And uh, certainly, well, we all know how big this game is on Monday night against the Baltimore Ravens. And so good stuff today from Jim Henderson to help us begin our conversation in full about Monday night's game. We're going to have a big show on Monday, by the way, from Studio B in Metairie, uh, previewing, obviously, the uh, game on Monday night, and we'll also be wrapping up the Pelicans' road trip. But, again, that's a, that's a few days out. So we've got a lot on our table today, and that it also includes a talk of the All-State Sugar Bowl Crescent City Classic. We'll take a moment during today's uh, podcast to talk with uh, Lane Thomas and Hillary Landry, both of that event, uh, as we probably need to – they start thinking about the conversation uh, surrounding the April race, which is now, my goodness, I think I'm going to ask the ladies, but it's got to be, it's easily over 25 years now for the Crescent City Classic, but I'll get the exact number for sure when they stop by in Studio B just a bit later. It is a beautiful day here in Denver, and the uh, team will practice today. I think that's a huge advantage for the Pelicans to get a practice day here at altitude 
uh, before playing the Nuggets tomorrow night. It seems like here in recent history, we've come into Denver to take on the Nuggets here at altitude, even in the second game of a back-to-back. So perhaps today will be a good adjustment for the guys. They did get some rest yesterday after their win over the Sacramento Kings. So a nice show planned for you here today, not only from uh, Denver, Colorado, but also from Studio B in Metairie and from uh, other places across the country, as we'll find Sean Devaney, I think probably in the Chicago area, and uh, Jim Henderson preparing uh, in the secret bunker, as we like to say, uh, somewhere probably on the North Shore today. So good show. We'll uh, take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll begin things with the voice of the Saints, and then we'll continue with Sean Devaney of Sporting News, and then wrap things up talking Crescent City Classic. Stay with us. Stay up to date on the latest breaking New Orleans Saints news by downloading the team's official app presented by Verizon. Check out the 2014 schedule, league standings, and statistics. Plus, have access to watch live press conferences with Coach Sean Payton and players while reliving your favorite Saints moments. The Saints app makes the perfect game day companion with a detailed map of the Mercedes-Benz Superdome highlighting the facility's amenities. The free New Orleans Saints app presented by Verizon is available to download on iTunes and Google Play. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion, it's a tradition. And Zatarans has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice to crab boil and more, Zatarans has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz. And we're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarans, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. Back here on the Black and Blue Report from Denver, Colorado. And, of course, with us uh, secretly put away and game prepping, as always, on this Thursday is the voice of the Saints, Jim Henderson, to do our visit with the voices. And uh, it is, uh, let's see, sunny and about 40 here in Denver. I don't know if I win or you win today weather-wise, Jim. Well, it's pretty sunny and warming here, too, Sean. I think the temperatures are going to be around uh, uh, low 60s and perhaps as high as uh, mid-70s over the weekend. So it's pretty nice here as well. Oh, all right. I'll be looking forward to that when I get back home. I'll also be looking forward to Monday night football here as you're preparing for the Saints and the Ravens. And, Jim, this is the end of the three-game homestand and another run of the AFC North. Uh, it's been a tough go for not only the Saints but everybody in the NFC South in playing these teams from the AFC North. And that's one of the things that I'm mentioning in the opening of the broadcast. you got the best division in the NFL in the AFC North playing the worst division in the NFL, the NFC South, and each has contributed to the other. I mean, if the Ravens win on Monday night, they will have swept the NFC South. And uh, if the Saints were to lose to the Ravens and then go to Pittsburgh and get beaten there, they will have been swept by the AFC North. So uh, one hand kind of washes and, and dirties the other. Indeed. The history in this series, Jim, what, what jumps out between the Saints and the Ravens other than that they, they met in a meaningless preseason game just months ago? Well, as I recall, whenever the Saints have played the Ravens, it's been a very physical contest that the Ravens have prevailed in. Uh, they're a very physical football team, especially on defense. So um, I don't think that sets up very well for the Saints in this game. And looking at the strengths of the Ravens, Offensively, they got a really good interior of their offensive line, two outstanding guards. And the Saints have really been gashed trying to defend the interior runs of Frank Gore and company with San Francisco and Jeremy Hill and 
Cincinnati last week, so I expect them to try to probe the interior of the Saints' defensive line uh, probably repeatedly. Um, their, their passing game has kind of tailed off the last couple of weeks. Steve Smith has kind of tailed off. So uh, I would expect that they'll try to run the ball straight ahead against the Saints with Justin Forsett, who's an interesting story. This is a guy that is on his um, fourth team in four years, primarily thought of as a third down back, just 5'8 and 197, and yet he's the number one ball carrier in the NFL at 5.4 yards per carry, and uh, he's already set new career highs in yards and touchdowns. So he's been a very pleasant surprise for them in the absence of Ray Rice. Is the home field advantage for the Saints gone, or are we still going to lean on that a little bit on Monday? Well, you'd have to think that the odds makers think it still exists because on paper uh, I don't see the Saints uh, winning this football game, but I think the Saints are perhaps three-point favorites. At least they were early in the week, so that's got to be attributed to the, the home field advantage. There's a really, I think, interesting statistic that was brought out on NOLA.com earlier this week. Including the Bengals game, the Saints play four times in a five-game stretch against teams coming off a rest of ten days or longer. And for those people who think there's a conspiracy against the Saints in the front office of the NFL, remember what happened having to play on a Sunday night and then traveling to play on Thursday against Carolina, the only team in the NFL who was asked to do that. Well, that is an interesting take there. And I don't know I want to jump into that conspiracy theory, but every time you hear one of those points, it does it does make you stop a moment, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, but... Conversely, another statistic, through 11 weeks of this season, teams coming off their bye weeks are just 10-16, and 16, but under Harbaugh, the Ravens are 5-1 and one coming off their bye week in his history as the uh, head coach of the Ravens. So I don't know what all that means, but it's, I think it's fairly interesting to see the Saints uh, having to confront that sort of uh, middle of the schedule. And I can't believe somebody didn't look at that when uh, the NFL schedule was being uh, comprised. It's interesting and worthy notes here for our conversation. Speaking of confronting things, Jim, do you think that the Saints this week are confronting the Ravens more or their own demons more at this point? That's a very good question, Sean. I would say a little bit of both. Um, Boy, you look at all the injuries the Saints have suffered and guys coming in off the street this week are expected to contribute in the defensive backfield, having lost three safeties and uh, they might be able to get Pierre Thomas and or Kyrie Robinson back this week, which would help them some, but they're bringing in guys at, at wide receiver um, that have, have been bouncing around, hopefully uh, contributing to the Saints somewhat in the return game, which has been abysmal this year. So, I mean, uh, I, I don't know what you'd look at as far as the Saints' recent fortunes and be encouraged about coming into this one. When you, in light of that, and in light of the fact that you said that on paper this doesn't look very good, Jim, what then can the Saints lean on in trying to get back on track uh, this weekend? Drew Brees in the passing game, even though it's a, a bit uh, banged up, you look at the, the Ravens and their secondary has lost some really good players, and they have allowed more yards to wide receivers than any team in the NFL. So it's a very good defense against the run. Um, they haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher in the last 20 straight games. So they're going to be a difficult team to run against. They've got a great core of linebackers. But what the Saints are going to have, think, have to depend on is somehow protecting Drew Brees long enough that they can work over this secondary, which is, uh, is um, I think, probably the weakest point of this team. Wow, that's interesting stuff. 
Um, one more thing is I'm sitting out here in Denver and away from the football team this week. I, I know I'm not probably hitting all of the highlights here, but you know, if, if, if in our conversation we haven't covered something that, that you think that fans should know or, or will be enlightened by, uh, what would that be, Jim, as we get toward Monday Night Football? Well, Drew Brees and Sean Payton have never beaten the Ravens in their careers, either as Saints or San Diego Chargers. So that's uh, another thing that the Saints will be looking to overcome. Um, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see the mood in the Dome on Monday night. You know, the whole idea of the Saints playing in prime time um, with the national spotlight on them has been such an aid to them in the past. I wonder if that still exists or uh, what kind of face the Saints fans will put on this game to the nation because I think they're as frustrated as, uh, as perhaps any group of fans around the NFL at the moment outside of uh, Oakland and Buffalo. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, it is interesting, and it's hard to take the temperature right now of how things are. And, and again, all this is framed up by, as we mentioned earlier, uh, an anemic NFC South, if not a dumpster fire altogether. Um, and, and, Jim, here we go into the weekend with this losing streak on our minds and, and the injuries and everything else, but – at the same time, you still have football to play, and it does have meaning at this point. That's right. And you look around the uh, NFC South, and uh, the Bucks snapped a five-game losing streak this past weekend. The Falcons have had a five-game winning streak, and the Panthers are now on a five-game winning streak. So that says as much about the NFC South as I think anything you can say. No doubt. Hey, have a great call on Monday night. Of course, we'll be looking forward to it, and you've made us a lot better today. Again, by joining us on this Thursday, Jim. Well, thanks a lot, Sean. Look forward to seeing you back in New Orleans. Yes, looking forward to that. We'll see you on Monday night as the Saints take on the Ravens on Monday Night Football. Jim Henderson with us, the voice of the Saints, here as we visit with the voices on Thursday. This is the Black and Blue Report. At the Auctioner Hospital for Children, no matter where you turn, you're surrounded by bravery children and teens dealing with health problems beyond their years. Parents working hard to keep the worry from their face. Doctors and nurses doing everything possible to get them back home where they belong. From rare brain tumors and leukemia to heart conditions and organ transplants, we offer a level of pediatric care unmatched in Louisiana. With more advanced capabilities than any other children's hospital in the region, even our kids-only ER can handle any pediatric emergency. In fact, the only thing tougher than the problems we see every day are the kids themselves. Choose the Auctioner Hospital for Children and never wonder if you could have done more. Call 866-AUCTIONER to find an affiliated pediatrician near you. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. This is Pelicans guard Eric Gordon. And you're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We continue here from Denver, Colorado, where the Pelicans take on the Nuggets, as you know, tomorrow night. And we thought we'd get some national NBA perspective here on this Thursday. And returning to the program with us is uh, Sean Devaney of the Sporting News. He's their NBA writer, a very good one at that. And so we're very pleased to have him here with us today. Good morning, Sean. Hi, Sean. How are you? Doing very well, thank you very much. And, and as I look at the standings, I'm noticing that most teams now have at least passed the 10-game mark, or we're right around the 10-game mark. And, Sean, while coaches will primarily say that they need about 20 games to learn the most about their teams, I'm going to move the timetable up for you and, uh, and ask you what you think 
are the early emerging storylines now here through 10, 11 games for a lot of these teams across the league? Well, you know, I think uh, certainly in the Eastern Conference, you know, I think uh, Cleveland and, and sort of where they are and, and, and where they aren't really, you know, the, the fact that that's a team that's still very much uh, trying to figure itself out, I think that's probably the main storyline. They were going to be uh, under the microscope uh, uh, pretty much all the way. And you've had some teams in the East, uh, you know, surprise and play really well, like uh, uh, Toronto and Washington teams that had good years last year. Uh, but have been able to back it up uh, uh, this year. So, you know, in the East, I think that's the main storyline. Uh, in the West, you know, I think you look at uh, the three teams uh, most of us thought uh, were, were going to be the Western, uh, the Western uh, uh, Conference contenders and still could be, uh, but, you know, the Spurs, uh, the Clippers, and, of course, the Thunder with all their injuries, those three teams have not been very good at all. So I think that's probably, uh, if you wrapped it up into a theme, it's it's the ones that, uh, uh, the, the, the teams that really looked like they were real championship contenders uh, are really scuffling out of the gate. Sean, you mentioned some of these teams that have given us some early surprises, and, and I don't want to go overboard and say that these are huge surprises because we know the talent, like, say, in Washington, and, you know, in Milwaukee sitting there at 7-5 and five as they win last night against the Nets. Which of these early teams, and maybe you include the Pelicans in this conversation as well, but which of these early teams that have gotten off to a fairly good start will be able to sustain it and can be in the conversation as we roll into the spring? Yeah, I would, I would, I would certainly include the Pelicans in that as, as a team that uh, – uh, when you looked at what went wrong last year, so much of it was just pure injuries. And so as a matter of, you know, can they stay healthy and keep that rotation healthy? And, and uh, you know, you had to know that Anthony Davis was going to come back uh, with an even bigger year, and, and certainly he hasn't disappointed on that front. So uh, I, would, I, would, I would definitely put the uh, uh, Pelicans uh, down as, as, as one of the early surprises uh, that can sustain it. Uh, and, you know, the two teams that I mentioned, I think Washington and Toronto, being that they're playing the East, they're going to have uh, a little bit of an easier road. Uh, I think that uh, when you go to the, the highs and lows of an NBA season, I think the lows uh, in the Eastern Conference aren't quite as low because you're going to get to play Boston and Philadelphia and Orlando and teams like that. So, uh, you know, I think that, that, that those two teams uh, are certainly one that can sustain it. Uh, and, you know, another surprise team uh, that, that you guys saw the other night is Sacramento. And, and uh, you know, what a great game that was. Uh, you know, so early in the season, uh, but I think that that's a team that that is that is starting to turn the corner. That 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 is starting to go from uh, uh, you know sort of a collection of good young pieces to a team that uh, uh, is maybe ready to start winning. I don't think they have quite enough to get to the playoffs, but I think that's going to be a, uh, a team that'll be fun to watch uh, going forward here. You know, and it's interesting about the Kings because we we circle that conversation around to Marcus Cousins and and Anthony Davis certainly is having you know a, a whale of a start here. Um, you know, are there players, and this is probably the thing that I love watching most early in the season, Sean, and that is this, which, are the, which players are out there that we've seen some growth from, but, but now we're see, seeing them take a major step and maybe playing a larger role with their particular franchise, along with Cousins, along with Davis, who else are some of those players now that, that are maybe making a step to another level as far as their rank amongst the NBA players? 
Well, you know, you mentioned Milwaukee. I think a guy who, who who hasn't gotten a lot of credit and has had sort of a weird career to this point is Brandon Knight, the point guard. Uh, you know, sort of bounced around, never really found a, a role that that he could succeed in uh, in Detroit. Uh, but uh, you know, has really been when you look at that team, they have a lot of guys who play twenty four to twenty eight minutes. Knight is the only guy out there playing, uh, you know, thirty two to thirty five minutes. That's how much trust uh, Jason Kidd, the new coach, uh, has in him. So he's a guy who I've really been impressed with. Um, you know, I think in Boston, uh, there's, there's uh, uh, Kelly Olenek uh, has, has, has really played well. And, and you know, uh, defensively, uh, he has a long way to go. But, but offensively, uh, he's really shown why, why so many people liked him uh, coming out of Gonzaga. So, uh, you know, he's a guy who's, who's been impressive and I think is going to be lined up for, uh, you know, maybe an 18-8 and eight sort of year and, and, and developing into one of those stretch fours. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's definitely, I think, uh, uh, offensively been a guy uh, worth watching. Another guy that comes to mind is Jimmy Butler from the Bulls, and, and we all saw what he could do on the defensive end, uh, but he's really starting to assert himself uh, offensively, and uh, uh, I think that that's, uh, uh, that's, that, that's been fun to watch. I think the Bulls might regret not giving him a contract extension because he's probably going to be more expensive next summer than he would have been this past summer. Yeah, speaking of, I think you just wrote something about Goran Dragic and what his summer is going to be like coming up, and those conversations are starting to change as well, aren't they? Yeah, you know, the Suns are are, are doing this experiment where, you know, they bring in Isaiah Thomas uh, to a situation where they already had uh, Dragic and and, and Bledsoe. They were basically playing a a two-point guard set anyways. Uh, And what they found is, you know, predictably the shots aren't there for all those guys. And and the shots that they're used to, the touches that they're used to, uh, you know, in a 48-minute game, they just haven't been there. Uh, and so there's there's maybe a little bit of uh, uh, some of those guys are are sort of disgruntled and and you know Dragic originally said uh, yeah I'm going to opt out of my contract and 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 be a free agent uh, and then quickly resign with Phoenix uh, but now from what I've been told uh, that's not the case he's going to explore free agency he's going to see if if maybe you know with Bledsoe signing a five year deal. Uh, and, and, and Thomas signed to a four-year deal, that situation's not going to change. So, uh, you know, Dragic might be looking elsewhere. Sean Devaney with the Sporting News here with us on the Black and Blue Report. Sean, you know, on the, on the other end of the trending conversation, we've talked about players and teams that are trending up here early in the season. Clearly there are some teams that are really out of the gate slow, uh, almost in disastrous uh, ways. Denver, whom I'll see tomorrow night, I guess might fit that conversation, but you know, you've got the Lakers at three and nine. New York can't beat anybody at three and ten. Um, of these teams that are scuttling out of the gate, which ones are in the most trouble in your eyes? I would, well, the Lakers. You know, I mean, I I, I would uh, uh, I would say that that's a team that. Um, you know, you look at Philadelphia, for example, and you say, okay, they're 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 off to uh, uh, this winless start. Uh, they've been terrible. But at least you see a direction. You know, at least you see where they might be going eventually. Uh, it's going to be a rough year, but at least you see uh, they've got young players, they've got draft picks, they've they've got they've got pieces that they can build. You look at the Lakers, and what do they have? I mean, what you know, where are they going? You know, they've got they've got Kobe Bryant, uh, uh, you know, pretty much playing out the string here. Uh, 
Uh, and then you've got a bunch of guys who, you know, really don't have a, much of a place in the NBA. Uh, maybe outside of Jordan Hill and, and Jeremy Lin, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of NBA players on that, on that roster. So that's, that's probably the team, uh, that, that, that to me, um, is, is, is in the biggest trouble because, like I say, it's, it's, it's not just that they're bad this year, but it's hard to see what, what, what's going to happen. That's going to allow the Lakers to turn the corner. What, you know, what does their future hold? Uh, and so this could be something where they're going to be bad for a while. Pelicans question, if you don't mind. Um, you know, you mentioned that the return of health is a huge storyline for the Pelicans, which seems obvious to those of us around the team that actually see healthy players on the team bus and everything else, um, and that's made them competitive again. Um, in your eyes, and, and and I'm asking because you're. You're more objective than I am, being a little bit away and, and obviously not working for the team like I do. But perhaps a thought or two from what you're hearing around the league about what New Orleans can or cannot be at this stage. Well, you know, I think that, that a couple things have happened. For one thing, uh, obviously they're, they're, they're a much better offensive team when all these guys are healthy. Uh, you know, when you have Anderson coming off the bench uh, and providing the offense that he has, uh, and then, of course, the way that, that Anthony Davis uh, has, has continued to just grow and, and been so impressive as, as a number one option. That was the big question with him coming out of college is, you know, is he going to be uh, a true number one option? I think he's, he's done a pretty good job of answering that. Uh, he might be the best player going in the league right now. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, uh, I think that, that, that you start with the offense. They've been so much better. Their defense has been, has been much, much better. And I think that when you look at that team, uh, my impression is they can get better defensively, and and that's that's where uh, that's where they're going to go from maybe fighting for that eighth seed to definitely being a, a a playoff team and a team that can be dangerous in the playoffs. It's going to be on the defensive end. You know they're near the bottom in the league and in all the defensive stats last year. Now they're they're in the middle. You know they're around 15 or so in terms of their defense, and I think that they can get into the top 10. And if they do that, then they go from being like like I say, uh, a team in the hunt for a playoff spot to a definite playoff team. Uh, so, I, you know, I think that, that that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think that's a fun group to watch. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, uh, the development of that defense is really going to be uh, sort of what, uh, uh, what makes this a pretty good year or a very good year. It's early, but some good thoughts there from Sean Devaney of the Sporting News. Uh, Sean also writes on a number of different topics. And, Sean, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up your book that you released. I guess it was probably back in the spring now. But uh, not only do you write about basketball, but baseball, too, and with your Chicago roots. Um, before Wrigley became Wrigley is an interesting read, and I'm hoping you'll share a thought or two about what you put together there. Yeah, you know, I, I, I love covering basketball, obviously, but, but one of my passions is sort of old-time baseball, and, and so this is a book that's about uh, the building of Wrigley Field. And, and you know, we had the, the 100th anniversary of Wrigley Field uh, back in April, and I think a lot of people, you know, make assumptions about Wrigley Field that just aren't true. Uh, the first team that played there was not the Cubs. It was actually a federal league team. It was a short-lived uh, uh, third uh, major league, as they called it, uh, and, and, and that league folded. And when that league folded, that's how the Cubs wound up on the north side. The Cubs, for the longest time, were the west side Cubs. They were, they were the west side uh, of Chicago, and, and people were outraged that the Cubs would leave the west side, if you can imagine that. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it, it, it kind of takes a different look uh, at, uh, at a place and, and, and the origins of a place where I think a lot of people 
you know, certainly uh, uh, know a lot about it now, uh, but, uh, but but maybe don't know much about uh, uh, how it wound up where it is and, and, and how the Cubs wound up playing there. How soon do we see a winner in Wrigley Field again? <laughs> well, you know, I, I I I grew up in Boston, so I, I I did see Theo Epstein turn the Red Sox around. So I think that they've at least got a chance. Uh, you know, Joe Madden, great manager, and 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 at least they're uh, they're in a position now where they're willing to spend some money. So uh, I don't think it'll be next year, but you know, it might be. Uh, you know, maybe two years might see them uh, uh, at least break 500. Fair enough, Sean. Thanks a lot. I hope that your travels uh, are safe coming up and. Uh, Continued success there at the Sporting News. Okay, thank you, Sean. Yep, Sean Devaney with us. Big thanks to him, of course, author and NBA writer for Sporting News. And we'll continue here on the Black and Blue Report from Denver in just a moment. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. Lotto is all across Louisiana with cash jackpots starting at $250,000. That's a whole lot of cash. From the neon lights of Shreveport, Bossier City, to the banks of Grand Isle, Lotto is your game. It doesn't leave the state, and there's nothing like it anywhere else. It's Louisiana fun just for Louisiana. Lotto, it's a whole lot of cash. Must be at least 21 to purchase. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Sean Kelly. All right, welcome back to the show. As we continue from Denver, we have special guests already seated in Studio B back in Metairie. And, uh, and while we're all thinking about Thanksgiving and the holidays coming up, I don't think it's too early to start the conversation about the All-State Sugar Bowl Crescent City Classic, which will come around on April the 4th, 2015. And so while many are thinking about uh, how they're going to prepare for that race, the folks that run the big classic are already full well into preparations. And so with that, we welcome into Studio B this morning uh, Lane Thomas, event manager, and Hillary Landry, charity director with the All-State Sugar Bowl Crescent City Classic. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, it's a wonderful day. It's going to be a great weekend to uh, to spend time outside, perhaps running, but uh, I don't know if we're going to train just yet. But let's, let us start the conversation. And, uh, Lane, we'll start with you. Um, tell us more about what we're getting, I guess, where we are on the calendar with you all in getting ready for that April 4th race. Yeah, so um, we just had our Fall Classic 5K race in November. Um, that's really when people start to kick off their training, um, running a 5K. And then we're going to have a small race in December to keep people motivated. But really, um, when people mostly start training is January 1st. Um, New Year's resolutions is a great thing to you know make the Crescent City Classic your goal, uh, run a 10K in spring. H- Hillary, in 2015, how many years now for the Crescent City Classic? Um, we are looking at... 36, right? 37. 37. 37 this year. It's as much a part of our culture and our calendar now as anything else. I mean, this is decades old. How many, how many folks ran last year? 
Um, we had just under 24,000 register for the race, um, a little below that who actually started at the start line and went all the way through each mile marker to the finish line, around 20,000. That's amazing. And, and I know that it not only has a great impact on individual lives in participating in, in this as far as their health, uh, but also the health of the city and those that you are able to help through the Allstate Sugar Bowl Crescent City Classic. And so, you know, Hillary, if we looked at the charities involved here, um, who and, and how are folks benefiting from from this great road race? Um, so this year we've been we've been so very very fortunate to get such a broad spectrum of need and service based organizations across the metro area. The first objective in selecting the charities was that all the money stay here locally. Um, while we recognize that there certainly is a national, you know, a need nationally for for many of these great organizations, what we want to do, particularly this year. 2015, 10 years post-Katrina, is make sure that we are pumping as many um, donated dollars back into our local um, need as possible. So this year we've got American Cancer Society. Their money is going to stay here at the Hope House over on River Road. Boys Hope, Girls Hope, New Orleans. Um, fabulous organization associated with Jesuit High School and Dominican. Covenant House, Girls on the Run. Um, the Kelly Gibson Foundation in conjunction with Youth Run NOLA, um, Leukemia Lymphoma Society, the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra. I think that's so neat that they got involved this year. It's um, it's such a fi- it was such a fixture in the city before Katrina, and to have them back and to have them be able to participate on this level is phenomenal. Um, an annual favorite is the Louisiana the LASPCA, uh, the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, um, NORD. Operation Homefront, we're delighted this year to have a military organization represented. Operation Homefront um, directs all of their funds here along the Gulf South and across the metro area. Kickin' Parkinson's for Team Fox, the New Orleans Musicians Clinic and Assistance Foundation, um, and uh, what I think is going to turn out to be a really big favorite this year, um, just because of the name associated with it, is the Make It Right Foundation. Absolutely. I, that's a very extensive and quality list you've all put together. Uh, is, can anyone else get in on this, or are you guys at your capacity? Um, not for this year. Um, we close The application process closes at the end of the summer. We spend some time with the board considering pretty in-depth all of the applications and announce the selectees mid-September. So we're done for 2015. The application process will open again about mid-summer 2015 for the 2016 race. But um, right now, we think this is a good fit. Obviously, there are countless organizations that applied with so many wonderful applicants this year. We could have chosen so many. But we thought we would focus on um, a small group of selectees and um, and just get them to work really, really hard. And if they do anything close to what they did last year, and the expectation is that they'll exceed it, then I think we're going to be in good shape. Ladies, help me make a connection between, say, the number of participants, and I mean runners, and what that can do with regard to the level of help that you all can give these charity partners. Um, so right now, these charity partners, the way it works is each charity is gifted 100 free entries. Um, and the Crescent City Classic, in addition to giving them the entries, gives them um, pre-race party amenities. We have prizes, incredible list of prizes um, from our local participating sponsors. With a minimum entry 
from each runner of a, a commitment to raise $200. Um, the Each runner will get a, a unique charity bib, race t-shirt, um, and free entry to the race. So you're looking at a minimum to each charity of $20,000. The wow. really neat thing that this um, organization has done, that the Classic has done, and I, I don't think you'll find anywhere else, is that they've committed to give every single dollar back to the charity. We don't take an administrative fee. Um, so at the end of the day, these charities will each walk away with a minimum of 20000 Now, our expectation, as we did last year, is that each will exceed that. Um, you know, it's November. Now people are already starting to fill up each of the 100 spots. It'll be pretty easy to get to $200 by April 4th. The hope is that most participants will exceed the $200 minimum. I think the benefits for runners and the community are pretty clear um, when you talk about getting involved as, as far as just being an individual, uh, what are the deadlines? What do folks need to be aware of as far as making sure that they're in and can run the race and help raise the money for the charities involved? Yeah, sure. It's easy. Um, I, you know, there are the website is set up. Crescent City Classic, cccdk.com has this very um, easy to find, easy to, get, easy to navigate spot it's called run for it click on that link and it'll take you to a fundraising page where you can select among the many charities and you've got from now until april 4th to sign up and um and raise your money obviously the earlier you sign up the better Mm -hmm. Um, and there are more amenities available to those people who sign up earlier Um, we'll have incentive packages from local sponsors like i said um the Hyatt, Community Coffee, things like that. They've all offered great, great prizes for those people who do sign up early, who do earn the most money. Last year, for example, we had a runner from Covenant House earn over $5,000, and he had a one-night stay at the Hyatt um, on race weekend. He was able to start the race with the elites that morning, which was a pretty phenomenal experience. Um, and that's just, that's just a baby bite of what we're going to be able to offer in 2015. Lane, is there any way to track, or have you all tracked, what percentage of your runners, participants, are local and which ones come from out of town? Yeah, um, we have about 20% come from out of state. Um, So most of our participants are local, uh, which we love. You know, it's a local event, locally produced, um, and it's, you know, Easter weekend, which is sometimes hard for out-of-town folks, but it's a fun weekend in New Orleans, um, and it's a Saturday race, so it's kind of easy to get to. All right. Um, as far as, let's see here, I want to make sure that most people feel welcome in participating. And you've got that elite class of runner who does this year-round and, and sees this as a competitive event. But then you've got guys like me who are weekend warriors or maybe just starting to think about sticking a foot in the water on this thing. Um, can you, I guess, help us understand uh, how this event fits all classes, if you will? Yeah, so we um, separate each runner by their estimated 10K time. Um, you know, a lot we have a lot of local runners that want to start up at the start of the line, right by the start line, so they train all year round. But we also have a ton of participants that walk the entire 10K course, um, which is great. You know, they do it with drinks in their hands, and they pull wagons, and it's really a family event since it's um, a holiday weekend. So, yeah, if you just want to walk or if you're just starting to run um, – please, you know, sign up, participate. It'll really motivate you to start running other local races too. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, before we let you guys go, um, ladies, we did understand that um, Eric Stewart, who's been involved as the race director, what seems like forever, uh, has been somewhat under the weather, maybe some surgery. How's he doing? Yeah, he's doing well. He had um, 
open heart surgery last week, and he's already back home um, walking. He's doing great. So thanks. Good news. Absolutely. Real quick, the website again, um, just to put that in people's minds. Sure. It's ccc10k.com. Very good. I'm glad you guys stopped by. This is fun to talk about, and I don't think it's too early. Do you? (laughs) No. (laughs) The earlier, the better, particularly from the fundraising standpoint. Yep. No doubt, no doubt. Again, it's the uh, it's the Allstate Sugar Bowl, Crescent City Classic, April 4th, 2015. It's time to start thinking about it. Fantastic work, ladies. Um, again, I can't thank you enough for stopping by the studio today, and, and uh, I learned a lot more, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. We're going to continue here on this uh, Thursday here on the Black and Blue Report. We'll put a wrap to the day's show in just a moment. Linda, mother of two beautiful 13-year-old twins. While my son has brown hair and blue eyes, and my daughter has blonde with green eyes, they both share one identical DNA trait. I hate spinach. No one leaves the table until you finish your vegetables. Getting my kids to want to eat vegetables, that's my purpose. Blend it now. Try the new veggie blends at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to get your kids to love vegetables. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Be at the Smoothie King Center to see your New Orleans Pelicans take flight on Tuesday, November 25th at 7 p.m. when the Sacramento Kings come to town. The Pelicans Fest pregame block party tips off the fun at 5.30 with music, inflatable games for the kids, appearances by Pierre the Pelican, Pelicans dance team members, and a whole bunch more. Tickets start as low as $13. Call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com to get your seats today. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Well, we've had a very enjoyable visit with you here from Denver this morning, and I really appreciate you, of course, tuning in to another edition of the Black and Blue Report. And we want to give big thanks to our guests today as well, Jim Henderson, Sean Devaney, and uh, Lane Thomas and Hillary Landry from the Allstate Sugar Bowl Crescent City Classic. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, full coverage later today on NewOrleansSaints.com and on your Saints mobile app, with regard to the uh, Black and Gold's schedule here today, their busiest day of the week, and uh, we'll get you up to speed on all things Saints as we go on throughout the day. Our basketball coverage continues later on this evening. We'll ask you to turn on the radio tonight and uh, check in with our friends at the flagship station. That's 105.3 WWL-FM, starting at 8 Central tonight. It's the Monty Williams Show. That 30-minute weekly radio magazine uh, does all things Pelicans, and includes our most extensive visit of the week with head coach Monty Williams. I'll be visiting with Coach after the team practices today here in Denver, and we'll be happy to share that with you later on tonight. That's 8 until 8.30 Central on 105.3 WWL-FM. Tomorrow on the uh, Black and Blue Report, we'll preview the uh, Pelicans and Nuggets in earnest with head coach Monty Williams, and we'll also continue our conversation regarding Saints and Ravens as we inch closer to Monday Night Football. Hope you all have a great rest of your Thursday. Uh, I certainly enjoyed my time with you today, and I look forward to seeing you on the radio tonight and then right back here tomorrow for the Friday edition of the Black and Blue Report. For Daniel Salerson in our studios in Metairie, Sean Kelly in Denver saying so long for just a while. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow.
Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.